You're listening to Australian Spotlight. Matt Hill grew up skateboarding with his older brothers Peter and Stephen in Melbourne, Australia, together going on to found what is now Globe International, the world's largest skate, street and surf company. We caught up in El Segundo for a chat. Here it is. So Matt, what was your first memory of skateboarding? Well, you know, my two older brothers are a decent bit older than me, so they're close in age, so they were always doing everything as young teens. So my first sort of vivid memories of them as very early teenagers bringing home their first skateboard, which they shared. And so every a lot of other people who sort of had their lives overtaken by skateboarding have their story of their first skateboard, whereas mine is one of how they brought skateboarding kind of crashing into our household and <laughs> were obsessed by it, you know. And I would, uh, from then, you know, would follow them around and, you know, try and keep up. And what was it about skateboarding that you think had you and your brothers hooked then and now? Look, skateboarding is, when you get hooked on it, it's an incredible feeling, especially at a young age of just freedom. There's something about cruising around on a skateboard. And it always amazes me that through technological change and all sorts of different devices and things that have come in, there's something still super liberating for a kid when he or she finds a skateboard at anywhere from sort of six through their early teens. Um, if they get good at it, there's just an absolute feeling of, um, of liberation that you get from it. And then from there, it turns into uh, a device that you, you know, you make friends, camaraderie, mm. um, and there's a whole creative culture behind it as well. So a few years after taking your first ride on the skateboard, your brothers founded this little outfit called Hardcore Enterprises. What do you remember about that? What was amazing about my brothers um, was that they just always looked for ways to uh, facilitate a world that allowed them to skateboard. So before they even started Hardcore in their teens, they were out promoting. So they started skateboard teams with their friends. Um, we went and we did demonstrations in shopping centers yeah. and, uh, and they would write letters cause it was, you know, it was pre emails or anything else. Mm. And they'd turn up and the kind of shopping center manager would be like, so where's, you know, Peter Hill or Stephen Hill. And they'd be like, it's me. And it was a, you know, 15 or 16 year old, <laughs> but they really understood how to, how to market and how to position and everything else. So the first few years were just literally promoting skateboarding as an excuse to be able to go get a sponsor. And that really was just a way to get out there and do it. That then led into the distribution company, which was hardcore. Yeah. And and the first thing that they did, and um, I was still in high school at the time, but I worked in the business from the beginning, was import us-based products because there was an undersupply and and they knew that there was you know there was a skate culture out there that wasn't getting what they wanted mm. because you know our dad was awesome he used to travel for work and w he would get sent to these you know if he went to london he'd be in the outer suburbs to find the one core skateboard <laughs> shop that would have products or yeah. if he went to san francisco it'd be skate on hate so he'd yeah. have to carve out an afternoon to bring <laughs> back this stuff but that's how rare US-based products were in Australia. Yeah, right. Um, so they started doing that and, you know, there was a, this was in the early 80s and there was, a, or the mid-80s rather, and um, there was a skate boom coming and uh, we were able to, you know, really learn how to do business off the back of a good growing market, um, but one that we really did a lot to promote skateboarding into, you know, into Australia. And did you or your brothers or your mates have an early inkling that this kind of 
backyard operation might might really go go big no i mean you know we have all we always explain to people you know the business was started not to make money out of skateboarding but to be able to keep skateboarding you know yeah. that was really really the whole crux of it and you mentioned you were at high school working with the company from the beginning was that i mean was that fun or was that a chore at the time or Oh, it was totally fun. I yeah. mean, it was just, I mean, I had a, an amazing apprenticeship in business. By the time I was, had left school, I'd seen so much. And because it was my brothers, it was really good because they trusted and sort of gave me access to uh, the business and everything that goes on yeah. that a kid would normally wouldn't see. But there was sort of no slack cut, like as if, if it was your parents' business, they'd probably be softer on you. You know, yeah. it was sort of like, if you want to be here, be here, but we're going to, you know, run pretty hard, all yeah. of us. Um, but it was all immersive then, you know. Um, no one was married, no one had kids. We skateboarded all through the weekends. <laughs> um, we were marketing skateboarding all through the weekends yeah. and trying to sell skateboards all through the week, you know, yeah. and then looking for ways to, to grow that into other elements beyond skateboarding. So you graduate high school, I guess you could have kept working full-time with the business, but you decided to go and study an arts degree at the University of Melbourne. What was your thinking there? I always thought that to be truly contributive to the business, you know, I'd have to have my own things that I could offer back Mm. to it, you know. All through all of my education, I worked as closely with the business as I could. So, you know, I was keen to go and have other things that I'd developed and skill sets that I could bring to the business Mm. and with no real plan exactly of what that would be, um, but just um, having extra perspective on everything, I guess. So the 90s come around, hardcore enterprise is really growing and your brothers and you um, decide to found Globe. Talk me through that. So there was two things. One, the you know when Peter and Stephen started skateboarding in the seventies, skateboarding was huge. You know it was that sort of Dogtown look. The yeah. you know and um, but skateboarding absolutely died at the end of the seventies. And in Melbourne and Sydney, you literally knew the fifty people across the country <laughs> that called themselves skateboarders. I mean yeah. that's how small it got. And okay. and proportionally, that's kind of where it went in California as well. So as we built this business in the eighties, we were really aware that skateboarding is always cyclical you know Mm. the core guys don't go away but Mm. it is a as a business it's cyclical and what we didn't want to do was have a business wholly reliant on it so that we would have to get in and out of skateboarding because we'd seen brands and businesses do that yeah and we kind of looked to the surf industry and went well you know got these big surf clothing brands and they their business is all around selling surf clothing nobody really sells a whole lot of surf boards mm. you know as a as a huge business so we were looking to diversify so we first went into clothes and then we also went into footwear so mm. by the mid 90s we'd been doing it for about 10 years and we'd sold a lot of other people's products um, either under license or distribution yeah. into Australia and one of the things that we realized was we were always reliant on their success how they went and if they bombed in the states we suddenly would have to find a new brand to yeah. do. and we just started feeling like we could do this ourselves yeah secondly we were starting to get reasonably sizable in australia and we realized well we can't go outside of australia if we don't have our own brands yeah um so globe was really an effort to create a worldwide brand that we could take back to the other territories Mm. Um, sell to distributors in Europe and in Asia, which we did in South America, and look at the US market. Around the same time you graduated with your arts degree and you took what I guess to some looked like a bit of a left turn, you decided to move to LA and go to film school at the University of Southern California. Yep. What, what was your thinking there? I mentioned earlier, you know, I was always sort of had my own perspective on things. Yeah. Um, all through the period when we were growing up marketing, there was a lot of 
uh, television media attention on skateboarding and it would often end up at us because we were sort of the high profile guys yeah and I love that you know there was a TV live TV show in Australia called the early bird show for kids yeah. and we went on that every Saturday morning and you know so from sort of 16 I was standing there hosting this little segment on the show mm -hmm. and it was all live to air back then and it was a real buzz you know yeah. so California was my mecca because it was skateboarding and film the two things I loved doing so you I guess you were kind of film student by day and then by night and on weekends you were starting to build this yep. plan about Globe's expansion to the US yep. was that daunting to try and make a move into that market um Fortunately for us, we knew it pretty well because as a distributor and a licensee, we'd been coming here for a lot of years. Mm. So we kind of understood the world. You know, we knew our way around a bit. And, you know, I was lucky enough that uh, another guy from Australia who still works here today, Gary Valentine, he came over as well. So I could never have pulled off the being at school there was someone running the ship daily you mm. know and then I could sort of check in and we could work and problem solve things and everything else but I think what the biggest challenge was and I think it was a really fortuitous that we did it when we were so young yeah. was not bringing a preconception of how we do business but rather seeing it as a way to learn how to assimilate as an American business, yeah. you know, and we've subsequently over the years seen people in our sector come and not survive here. Mm. And I think the biggest difference is not necessarily that they're lesser talented than us, but they come with an already set business in Australia and they think I'll just do it the way I do it there. Yeah. And all they hire US staff and tell them, no, no, we do it this way, we do it that way. Yeah. So I think the biggest challenge was learning how to keep sort of cultural and heritage values of our business that we still today always yeah. try to put a spotlight on, but assimilate into doing business in an American way. The business really took root here in the US and continued to grow um, in Australia, in Asia, in Europe. Um, mm -hmm. And that led to 2001, um, you guys decided to take the, the, the company public and list yep. on the Australian Stock Exchange. W was that a tough decision? It was. Oh, gosh, yeah, we agonised about it. You know, what would it do to our culture? What would, you know, we start off as this sort of anti-establishment business and you can't do something that feels more conforming than becoming a public company. <laughs> but, yeah, we were growing. The opportunity to get capital to keep growing was, was really um, exciting, mm. you know. But... You know, the, the biggest challenge ultimately was, you know, I think we kind of got talked into the idea that being a public company, you're going to be this big change of the business. And now I look back and I understand so much more. All the people that invest in you just want you to keep doing what you do well. And so that it sounds like that um, sort of process of reflection led to you in 2004 coming um, into the role as CEO. Yep. And I gather that one of your priorities and, and the priorities of the original team um, from the beginning was to try and bring the company back to its roots and Correct. to its values. Yep. What did you mean by that? I think that, and this is no criticism of the people who came before me because that was the brief that they were given, yeah. you know, and yeah. we bought into the brief. But the brief became much more about, you know, the market, the share price, what's expected here and there. Mm. And what we realised was that, no, our business always worked well because we put brands at the forefront, good talented people at yeah. the forefront. So one of my things that I always sort of said when I took over, I saw my first and foremost job was to run interference between management and the market mm. in that I'll deal with all of that. I'll talk to those people and I just want everyone below me 
to just think about we're a branded company, not we're a public company. Yeah. Because if they do that well, the, I can take care of the public company bits, you know. Yeah. And so Peter and Stephen and I got dramatically re-enthused about the business doing that. Mm. And, and people in the business really responded well to it. And, you know, out of that came a huge creative period for us of new brands that we created and, uh, and good growth again and all sorts of things. And so it sounds like one of the key ingredients for the success of Globe and you and the brothers and the team has been lots of different relationships formed yep. over the years. Yeah, absolutely. Um, whether with skateboarders or distributors or designers. And I guess one example that comes to mind is the godfather of skateboarding himself, Rodney Mullen, the yeah. same guy who invented the ollie and the kickflip, right? How did he become a part of the Globe family, the Globe story? We'd known Rodney through the years because in those early, he comes from the same era that we come from, basically, or yeah. at least my brothers come from. And so, of course, through the traps, we'd met him through the years and so on. Um, but when we got here and we set up Globe, um, Rodney, who has had these amazing sort of reinventions of his career through decades, mm. um, had been a, the, a champion freestyle skateboarder and skateboarding had moved to street skating. And so he was at that point, he was in his late 20s and he was probably considered uh, one of the older guard and he completely reinvented himself and became one of the hottest, most successful street skaters. Mm. Um, it was an amazing transformation. And But before that, I was introduced to him uh, just as he was starting to make that transition and we, he and I just got on like a house on fire. Mm. So lots of shared interests and he's super smart, really broad red guy. So, you know, you can talk to him about all sorts of things. Um, and I said, do you want to come on and be a globe professional athlete? You know, or as we would call it a rider. And mm. he was like, really? Yeah, I'd love to. Um, and then we kind of rode a huge wave together, which was the globe brand blew up. He blew up at the same time um, and there was lots of shared success and great fun and so on. And mm. so he's been with us for 21 something years and um, we ended up purchasing a skateboard company which he was associated with. And so that put us even closer together and just gone on ever since then. And I guess one of the other ingredients to the Globe success story, and you've mentioned a couple of times, is this notion of culture, mm. both the culture of the company itself, but also the way the company interacts with Yep. broader culture now that you're a big public company global company how do you maintain that authentic connection with with culture i think the thing that helps us is that we're multi-branded mm. so we have lots of different brands which takes the pressure off you know what's the biggest pressure that a public company ever feels is you have to grow 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 mm. right um and we've never had an experience yet where we've had to do what we've seen other people have to do where they really sacrifice their brand for the long term to achieve short-term growth mm. so we're able to say we're pushing that brand kind of to the rev limiter of where we're about to unwind its culture or its long-term heritage mm. what else are we doing what other opportunities are out there so that's helped us a lot the other thing with globe is we always aspired for it you know in our world we look at very very what we would call core brands which are appealing to the most you know purest part of a market mm. um, globe was never meant to be that globe we always aspired for it to be a broader more accessible brand mm. that valued core uh, kind of heritage values but didn't you know hang its hat entirely on that so um, what we're stoked about globe is girls will go buy their first skateboard as a globe 
skateboard. You mm. know, a 40 year old guy who comes back goes, oh, I want to get a skateboard, we'll buy that board. Mm. And it's not it's not anti the proposition we have for the brand. Yeah. So, so that brand has had a bit more scope than other skateboard brands to go broader. So, mm. you know, we've done huge events at, um, we did the Globe World Cup of Skateboarding for years at the Rod Laver Arena, big stadium event. Um, that's kind of where the brand sits, you mm. know. So, um, but it is, having said that, it is always a challenge. Every time you make a marketing decision mm. or a product-based decision, you're thinking, how will that be received by the purists in the culture and will it be, you know, adequately accepted? The other question about culture is the culture um, within the company itself. And I guess one of the things that's notable for an outsider is it seems like a tendency, you, your brothers and the whole globe team, from time to time, just sort of throw yourselves in the deep end mm-hmm. um, into a new market, a new yep. product, public listing. Where where does that come from? Is that is that an accurate description of the I culture think, here? Yeah, I think it really is. And I think if and some of our best long term uh, people in the business have been people that we've just gone. You know what? She's like super talented. Let's and it might be something that she's never done ever before. But you go smart, ambitious, works hard kind of just will land on their feet you know Mm. i'd say that the cultural connect is you know for a long time the tagline for globe was united by fate Mm. and we have that kind of came around from this idea and you know kind of got refined with this idea of unemployable which was we get all these people with great talent who just get to our place and go oh this feels like home Mm. but they're quite an eclectic bunch they don't conform to the sort of what you would expect you'd expect you'd walk in and everybody would be a skateboarder and everyone but they have an empathy for what goes on yeah but they particularly have an empathy for the kind of sense of adventure yeah and it's that energy that carries us through through the different things Mm. um but we always our mission is if we're going to do something new is it something we think we have a different point of view for and something to offer um as opposed to again what would be the more traditional uh public company approach to that it would be oh there's an opportunity here and our stats tell us this we'll see the opportunity but if we think look go out and go you know there's three companies doing that really well what why would we yeah. have a why would we think we would have a place at that table but yeah. if we see something so workwear is a great example we have a workwear yeah. brand called FXD and we just saw that guys that we talk to daily were buying other brands by default in the workwear market mm. in their work world but on the weekends they were buying our stuff yeah. we were like well, we know how to talk to that guy and we also know how to make product for them mm. so Maybe we should try that. I think that was 2012, you guys launched yep. FXD. 2015, you and the brothers and the whole Globe team celebrated 30 years of Globe and, yep. and Hardcore, its predecessor. Um, and you did so with a pretty pretty remarkable book called Unemployable. First, tell me about the title, um, Unemployable. Well, it's a thick book, so <laughs> it, it makes a good doorstopper and computer stand. No, the title comes from, from our dad uh, who said in a very, uh, you know, in a positive way, term basically you know you guys are unemployable (laughs) in that you need to be doing your own thing and we thought about all the key people that have done really well in our business and they all had the same trait which was they wanted to do something a little less predictable and the thing that I always try to point out to people is that the thing we love about this idea of being unemployable it doesn't just apply to being in skate or surf or something or something that would be considered anti-establishment you can have that ethos and and mindset wherever you come from yeah. you know so you know some of our best finance people I would put in the same category you know they were formally trained they knew what they wanted but they didn't quite 
feel like they were going to get the feedback or this kind of satisfaction that they wanted in the more conventional places that those careers go. And the other thing that we always try to point out to people is that that idea uh, is not to say that the alternative is any less. Mm. It's just about... The, the concept is if you don't feel like the conventional paths that have been put in front of you uh, make sense, then make your own. And, I mean, looking at that book, um, it is a thick book with a lot of memories and a lot of people and a lot of stories. Yeah. I mean, is there one thing that stands out to you and the brothers and the team is the thing that really makes you most proud? The thing that made me most proud when the book was being put together was how many of, you know, our business has gone through tons of cycles and yeah. we've done lots of different brands over the years which has either had people work for us on brands or brands that we did from America that ultimately we don't do today or whatever it is um, I was the proudest that all of those people were happy to be part of you know uh, Jason Bolter who wrote the book yeah he other than availability he didn't have anybody who said oh I don't want to talk about that I don't you know they were all excited to reminisce about it and be part of it and I'd never really thought about it but I thought well that's a pretty good achievement we basically have burnt very few people through all of these transitions and relationships with yeah. all of these and that's not just Peter and Stephen and me that's everyone who worked for us yeah that we'd been able to find ways to transition and still maintain you know great personal and professional relationships yeah. with um, and then the other one was this, you know, the themes that we're talking about today came out through a lot of doing the book. And again, that idea of all of the different people who had just been thrown in at the deep end and had had a, you know, a, a successful career out of it um, and have a sense of ownership in the bit of the business that they helped drive. Not I did that for someone else. Like, yeah. no, I can look at that part of that book and I can say, oh, yeah, I, I, I really did something. There. Yeah. And that the book was an opportunity to acknowledge that too. Looking back, is there something about growing up in Australia for you and your brothers and the team that you think prepared you to come and succeed in this business? At the very beginning, we talked about sort of what that uh, initial growing up experience in Australia was I think it was a real sweet spot of having just enough between education and access and everything else but not a whole lot uh, beyond that mm. so you know what that taught us was if we wanted something more we'd have to go out and figure out how to make money to get that ourselves if we wanted different fashion clothes and stuff you know that's up to us to figure out how to do that if we wanted to have somewhere to skateboard there wasn't skate park so figure out how to build a ramp and <laughs> my brothers were amazingly resourceful you know they'd be looking back then it was quarter pipe so it was can I find a piece of concrete driveway and you know they went to the local senior citizens and said can we put this ramp at the end of your <laughs> car park and they said yeah and probably regretted it but you know <laughs> but so I think it was that that learning that hustle yeah. from a position of great uh, opportunity to the basics that you need so that you've got what you need yeah um but not being overly indulged or spoiled yeah and then you know all of the kind of more stereotypical aussie things be humble don't even if you get a bit of success don't let it go to your head and yeah and whereas we're always thinking so where are we going to screw it up next <laughs> not how well are we doing it today and i think they're pretty typically Aussie traits. Matt, you've come a long way from the skate ramps of Melbourne in the 70s and 80s. Where next? At the moment, I'm really enjoying, we we do go through phases and we've got a really awesome next wave of crew coming into the business. Some of the newer brands that we've done have enabled us to, again, go through this cycle of throwing some of the less experienced people in at the deep end. So I'm really enjoying kind of where I'm at now and being able to work with those people from the perspective of 
let them be the ones that know kind of creatively what might be happening closer to the market, but be able to help with the more practical business things or, hey, here's where you might get it wrong, sort of two steps down. Yeah. You know? Let them make some mistakes because naivety is your, your best friend actually in business. We often say, you know, if we knew all the things that we could have got wrong, we would never have done any of it. <laughs> and so you don't want to take that away from people who bring it in. Yeah. Um, but next for us is here in the US, we've got the FXD Workwear brand, which is a huge opportunity for us. And I'm excited about that one because I think from an Australian US perspective, that's something that Aussies can really relate to if we make it a success here. Typically, we don't market our brands for their Australianism, you know, sure. and so they go under the radar as necessarily being Australian. Um, but so that would be really exciting for me if we could take, having done what we've done with Globe here in the US, if we could take FXD and have another um, really good international brand that we've grown in Australia, built in Australia, and then brought over here and into Europe, that would be really exciting. Um, and then we're at an age now where we just really enjoy the intangibles of what we do you know of course you want to make money of course you want to keep growing but you know i get a lot of pleasure out of the creative of the brands brand creation and the the new things that we do well matt you've been very generous with your time i can't wait to see what you and the team do next thanks for the chat thank you very much please do leave us a review subscribe and follow the australian consulate general los angeles on facebook and twitter thanks for listening